Hi, I'm your host, Mark Stenson. In addition to these podcast interviews, I facilitate patient-doctor listening research known as Innovate Groups. These panels have four patients and four doctors and provide an opportunity to observe and improve the interactions that lie at the heart of effective health care. I've created an ebook on this Innovate Group method, and I'd like to offer you a download It includes real-life case studies to underscore the power of better patient-doctor listening. So visit biosciencebridge.com to download your ebook, Innovate Group Revolutions. Now, before I welcome today's guest, here's a familiar voice on an important health topic. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third-generation race car driver, and I dedicate a lot of my time going fast. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. Visit alz.org slash time to talk, a message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, The Patients Speak where we're combining the business and science innovation of healthcare with the patient voice to make sure we're accelerating their journey from diagnosis to wellness. And in this podcast, we explore new research and latest innovations in all sorts of medical conditions. And today, our focus is going to be on ALS and Alzheimer's, conditions that uh, personally affect patients and families. I'm so glad to have as my guest, Dr. Fred Grossman. Glad to be here. Dr. Grossman is president and chief medical officer of Koya, a clinical stage biotech company developing new therapies to enhance the treatments. And Dr. Grossman, I'd love to start with what we hear from the patients and what we hear from the families. At Koya, we're focused on areas of significant unmet need. And I can't think of any disease more significant than ALS sometimes referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease, and of course, Alzheimer's disease. These are devastating diseases that affect all of us, either in our families, friends. We see the deterioration that occurs over time. So if we start with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, this is a progressive neurodegenerative disease, which means that the neurons or the nerves degenerate. And unfortunately, there's a very high fatality rate. Unfortunately, patients die. And this deterioration is really severe because it starts with muscle function deterioration. And muscles are in every part of our body and affects everything we do, not just in terms of movement, but in terms of respiration, in terms of speech. And this deterioration occurs rather rapidly to the extent that people have an inability to move or speak over time. There's respiratory paralysis. So your diaphragm is a muscle and that muscle is affected. And that's the muscle that allows you to breathe by expanding and allowing air to go into your lungs. But when that stops functioning, You can no longer breathe, and death follows that. In fact, 50% of patients with ALS die in two years after the diagnosis, and 90% have no family history. Look, what we hear from patients 
And, and these patients are heroes because they fight to stay alive. They participate in trials so we could learn more about potential treatments. But what we hear is, please find something. Mm -hmm. Please find something before it's too late. Alzheimer's is a whole other world of the same kind of situation. Yes. That's why we do what we do. Exactly. The patients are waiting and uh, pressing for these answers. I'm always curious in, in very clinical terms, especially in uh, maybe a provider setting, uh, we talk about activities of daily living and these metrics of how can patients live their lives. And then, the, of course, how the families uh, cope with the care and uh, of these patients. But we, if we really bring it to life, activities of daily living, what, what is the patient's perspective on that in these conditions? Excuse me. So I think there are perspectives both from the patients and their families, because both are tied in with one another. And the perspective is... You take someone who has usual daily activities, getting up in the morning, making breakfast, cup of coffee, taking a walk, going to work, driving, and start to chip away at that's a that's devastating to patients. <laughs> and people adapt. They, they adapt to the various inabilities and weaknesses over time. And the problem is it continues. Our goal is to halt that progression and to stop it from progressing so the patient and people can live their lives. And I think activity of daily lives, we do, <coughs> excuse me, we do a variety of things to understand what that is. Mm -hmm. or scales that are used in our studies that pinpoint specifically how the patient is performing their usual activities. Can they get dressed? Can they maneuver? Can they make that breakfast? Are they sleeping okay? <clears throat> All of these activities are part of that. But also it's subjective measures from the patient and their families. We always listen to that. We always listen to what the patient is saying and what the family is saying. But in our studies, we have to do them in an objective way, in a hands-off way, because we have to rely on what the data shows us and the end results. And if it's too subjective and we're too engaged in that, the results can sometimes be biased. Sometimes patients feel it's you're, you're dealing with your physician and there's a close relationship there. And the physician then says, there is a study going on with a potential treatment. Do you want to be part of that? And Patient may agree to that because of the fact that there aren't adequate treatments right now for patients with ALS. And they enter a study, and then it becomes very clinical. It, it sometimes feels cold. It has to be. There has to be, obviously, there's compassion, but there has to be an objective evaluation with clear uh, metrics and clear ways of evaluating. So at the end of the study, if we show that the treatment works, we know that the treatment works and then it gets approved. Yes. So and you're, kind of the, you're describing this objective measures and scales and so forth. 
And it's nice to see the combination. It's encouraging to hear you describe that not only we're looking at what's happening at the cellular or the brain or the nerve or the muscular level, but also these patient reported, these uh, activities, uh, which of course affect the family as I'm thinking about as you're describing. If the patient's losing more and more capacity, then the family has to step in. And how is that affecting either their family relationships or their work ability uh, to work outside the home and so forth? So it's good to see that the holistic view of the patient and family are being taken into consideration. It is because we're highly appreciative of people who volunteer for these studies. People do it for two reasons. And quite frankly, believe it or not, the primary reason is altruistic. People want to advance the field, want to find treatments. And so they allow themselves to be part of these studies to do that. And, and that's really heartwarming. And we have an obligation once they come into a study to do it right, because they're giving so much of themselves to that study. And of course, the secondary reason is it may be able to help them. And they get very close attention and evaluations uh, and scanning and, and biomarkers and all of these kinds of things. And at the end of the day, maybe they themselves can be helped by this. Yes. And I mentioned your current role uh, at Koya, but before this role, you've had all sorts of medical positions and consulting with some of the major pharma companies and biotech companies. Uh, do you also get a sense that the companies, yes, we're advancing the science, but are we also trying to accelerate the patient journey? I think about how can we speed up this process for the patient, the frustration of going trial to trial or diagnosis or test to test and doctor to doctor. I'm searching for answers. This is what we hear so much in our interviews with patients and advocates. This, I just want somebody to hear me and I'm looking for an answer. You, you've been really driven by that, I assume, in your roles as well. Most of the people that work in, if not all, in, in research and development are there because they want to find that treatment and improve that patient journey in a significant way. That's why they work tirelessly, and we all do, to try to bring these important treatments, life-saving treatments, to people. And I think that it's very important to realize that the quickest way to do that is to do good, sound, scientific research. And that's what we do at Koya. We make sure that we don't take advantage of time because time is so important to these people who are suffering. We make sure that we're very efficient in the trials we run. We make sure that we're having clear scientific discussions with the FDA, and we make sure that there's a path towards eventual approval. That's the fastest way to get treatment to patients by getting uh, a treatment approved after rigorous uh, scientific study. Now, with respect to these diseases of ALS and dementia, there's a real push in all arenas, both politically and socially, to get treatments to patients. In fact, in discussions with the FDA is advancing potential treatments very rapidly. They recognize that people don't have time to wait. And so if there's any signal whatsoever there will be fast approvals, unlike in, in other therapeutic areas, mm -hmm. because there's, such well, there, a there's lots of other choices. Yes. 
That's right. I understand. I'm glad we've been talking about quality of life, but I'd love to get into some of the fascinating science that Koya is working on. As I've been reading about this function of regulatory T cells, you found an interesting target here that I had not read about before in all the research I've been doing on ALS and, uh, as you said, Alzheimer's and dementia. What is it about this particular cellular target that uh, Koya is looking at? T-regulatory cells, or Tregs, as it's referred to, is the center of the inflammatory activity of the human body. So if you think of inflammation <clears throat> as being a balance, you need to have these inflammatory activities because what do they do? They migrate to the areas of injury and they clean it up, essentially. You know, for, without going into in, into detail, there needs to be a balance between the inflammatory reaction, which migrates to the injury, cleans it up, and then tamps down again. And it's the T regulatory cells that regulate inflammation. Too little means that inflammation is high. Now, ALS is a very extreme inflammatory state where the body's inflammatory reactions start to destroy the neuromuscular junction. These are the areas where the nerves communicate with muscle and the body starts to destroy those, uh, those junctions and parts of the peripheral and, and some central nervous system areas because T regulatory cells either are not functioning properly or they're low in number. That's been already shown by Dr. Stanley Appel at Methodist. So it's clearly known that in ALS, T regulatory cells are not functioning well. So what we're doing at Koya, we're focusing on that a uh, primary nucleus of activity of the T regulatory cells. There are some treatments that focus more peripherally. So mm -hmm. they may block a specific, it's, the immune system is really complex. There are cytokines and proteins, all these big words of a variety of different compounds that do their work. You can focus on one or two of them, but it's not going to affect the entire system. So at Koya, we're focusing on the key cells that affect the entire system. And we've come up with a treatment that does two things. It increases these T regulatory cells in number, and it also increases the T regulatory cells in function. So that part of the treatment stabilizes the immune system and stops the immune system from attacking these junctions in ALS. So that's the first part, but there's more to it. We also have another part of this treatment that combines with this Treg activity, which further lowers inflammation. So both of these together really tamp down the inflammatory state and we've given this treatment already to patients. Uh, and in that study, in this open label study, we found that it, it halted the progression of uh, ALS in these patients. Now, 
I just want to explain a little bit so that your audience understands what this progression is and what it means. There's a scale that's often used. It's called the ALS-FRS. A lot of letters, but essentially measures the functioning of an individual who has ALS. And what typically occurs is there's a one-point diminution, one-point reduction every month. And one point can mean the difference between walking and not walking, yes. breathing and not breathing. So you start at a score, and each month, typically, patients will progress by one point per month. So you can imagine over a six-month period, that's six points. It could be very substantial. That has a major impact on people's lives. And the goal is to stop that progression. There's no drug available that really does that. There are drugs that have been approved that have a minor effect, but because there's such desperation, it's important to be treated and to get those approved as they have been. What we have shown with our treatment of Koya 302 in a small number of patients was that it really halted that progression over six months. And if you halt that progression, what you're doing is you're giving people more survival. They're not dying as fast. So based on that, and based on some uh, lab data that shows that we're tamping down this inflammation, we are now going to be moving into a large full-scale study, definitive study, that is, it's called a double-blind placebo control. Essentially, patients don't know what they're on. It's really a controlled study. So at the end of the day, if we reproduce what we've seen in this small sample, this could be a major advancement for treating patients with ALS. That's why we're excited. That's why I get up in the morning and do what I do, because we have an opportunity to have a major impact. It's going to take a bit of time, and we're going to move as fast as we can, as is the FDA. And if we can show that this treatment does what we suspect it will, this could be a very substantial improvement in these patients. Yes, it sounds like you've made some potentially promising progress. So to put that in research terms, you're moving into phase three now. And what's the timing of the enrollment? Where do you figure that you are in the, the studies? Okay, so it's important to realize that for ALS, there's an accelerated plan to move forward from a regulatory perspective with the FDA. When it comes to ALS, when it comes to Alzheimer's, I don't think in terms of phases anymore because it doesn't follow the usual phase one, phase two, phase three, phase yes. four. Because there really is this need to move things forward. And that's why you have to do the studies in a powerful way, in a proper way, so that the data are convincing. We are in the planning stage now of, of the study, which could start in maybe six months. We're in discussions with a major uh, consortium. So the, the, this is a, uh, uh, a study that is taking place around the United States that incorporates numerous sites that's run by a very prestigious academic institution that is testing a lot of different um, molecules right now in treatments. Uh, we are um, likely going to be part of that. So we're excited about that. So we can start this 
as soon as six months. When it ends, that really depends on recruitment, how many patients come through. But at the end of that study, we're confident that if the data are reproduced, as we mentioned before, with the initial exposure, that we are going to have discussions with the FDA for potential um, paths to approval that hopefully would be rapid. Yeah, so I'm glad to hear about this consortium because clearly uh, collaboration helps with speed, doesn't it? The more people right. we have looking at this. But I was also, I guess, in the context of our podcast, where could the patient's voice and their input, especially maybe patient advocacy groups or patients to their uh, family doctor move and neurologists speaking to these centers, but where could the patient help drive the speed and the uh, uptake of this study? There are patient groups, the ALS Foundation, you can certainly, they're well aware of the programs that are going on. Uh, the major consortium that we're speaking about is called the Healy, H-E-A-L-E-Y platform trial. And people who have ALS are probably aware of it. And if they're not, it's run out of Harvard Medical School and they, they can be contacted. And there are 70 sites across the U.S. So if patients want to participate in such a study, uh, it's likely that a participating academic center or clinical center is resides in the states where they live. It's pretty easy to find those studies that are ongoing. Very good. We'll put some of those links in the show notes. So uh, listeners, whether they're on the clinical side or the uh, patient side of life, will be able to find those and access those. Dr. Grossman, what a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you uh, bringing the patient's point of view, the family's point of view to this, but also explaining some of this exciting new science. Uh, glad to do Be Look forward to coming back and talking in more detail about our Alzheimer program, which is yes. equally exciting. Yes, it is. Dr. Grossman, then as we uh, wrap up, I'd love to, to leave us with a thought on, again, the patient's voice. So if we were talking with practicing physicians out in the, across the country about what we need to hear from the patients. So with all your experience and now driving this research and running these trials, what do we need to hear the most from the patient's point of view? From the patient's perspective, there needs to be clear and direct communication, conversation with all of their healthcare team. They have to, there has to be this understanding of what patients' lives are like, how it's being affected, and what kinds of improvements or deterioration that's occurring on an ongoing basis. It's very important to not sugarcoat this. It's really important for the patient's clinical team to understand what the patient is going through. And a lot of times at the early stages, uh, people don't want to accept what's happening and there needs to be sensitivity during that phase. However, I find that patients who are suffering in this way, they tend to understand what their goals are. They tend to understand how they plan to cope with it. So it's more than just therapeutic treatment. It's helping the patient live their life, even if it's a life that is not like the life they led prior to the disease. And that kind of open communication is really important and patients shouldn't hesitate to directly explain 
what they're experiencing and how they're feeling. It goes beyond the physical state to understand their mental state. I had a sense I was wrapping up, but I want to pause for a second and uh, kind of rewind this tape to something you just said. And that's not to sugarcoat it. I think sometimes in our interactions with our family doctors or with our specialists, we say, oh, everything's going to be fine. I know it's bad, but it's not that bad, or I will cope. Or, and sometimes the physicians and the specialists want to, what, kind of whitewash it a little bit and say, it's not as bad as it sounds. But you're really emphasizing this. Yes, we want to be empathetic and we want to be compassionate, but patients need and want the truth. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's absolutely correct. Patients always want to hear the truth. And they know when a clinician or someone is talking to them and sugarcoating it. They know it. And they, it, it, the, the, quite frankly, the physician loses credibility at that point. Mm -hmm. the patients have the right to know what to expect in their life so that they can modify what they do and understand what's ahead. Anything short of that, is not doing a service to the patient. Mm -hmm. And I think I've heard this from families as well, the caregivers who say, I don't think the doctor understands how hard this is. So that's a little bit of a sugar coating sometimes too. So sounds that's like right. we need an honest dialogue between right. uh, all, all parties. Absolutely. Well, thanks, thanks for that encouragement. That's more than just advice. That's practical, actionable stuff. Dr. Grossman, thank you so much. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Listeners, my guest has been Dr. Fred Grossman. He's president and chief medical officer of a company called Koya. They're doing some fantastic clinical stage uh, biotech work and enhancing the function of regulatory T cells. And as Dr. Grossman mentioned, we want to follow up and hear more about the ALS study for sure, but perhaps down the road, we'll uh, kind of have you come back and talk about Alzheimer's and the research in that area as well. Glad to do this. So listeners, please join us again. We'll continue our conversations with clinical research uh, professionals, providers, and heads of departments at medical centers, with patient advocates, anyone involved in this ecosystem of helping accelerate the patient's journey from diagnosis to wellness, and primarily what we need to hear when the patients speak. I'm Mark Stenson, and I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Patient Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey with best-selling author Mark Stinson. Our podcast is hosted on Captivate.fm so you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top-rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for Unlocking Your World of Creativity on your favorite podcast app.